0: The scripture says in the New Testament, a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now, before we move on any further, um, I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Because most people think when they read that this particular passage of scripture that this is for those people you know, for the rich people, for the Warren Buffetts of the world, for the people who are loaded, for the people who have more cash than they know what to do with. But I want you to know this morning that this particular passage of scripture is not for them, it's for us. Because whether you feel like it, whether you realize it, whether you know it or not, every single one of us in this room this morning are rich. God, we're so, so rich. Um, after spending time a lot of time overseas, particularly in developing countries growing up. And then I'm um, recently going back over to a, a terribly tragic wasteland of slums and poverty. I can tell you firsthand that there's not a soul in this room that's not rich. I just, just, Just think about that for just a second. In our culture, a lot of people in this room... Do things that the rest of the world would find asinine. Like just, just think about it for a second. In most of our families, one person, one out of five can go to work. Not only can one person out of five go to work and provide enough food for the entire family of five, for an entire seven day week. But most of us can go and work for five days and still make enough to provide for the entire family for seven days. Now for us, that just sounds like a normal work week, right? But there's people all over the world that are blown away by the reality that one person in our family could go to work. They could go to work, they could work for five days out of seven days and feed the entire family for an entire week. Because in most cultures, every member of the family, kids and all, have to go to work to make sure there's enough food on the table for every member of that family to be able to eat. And the idea of taking days off during the week is a foreign concept. But if you're off this weekend, you're rich. I want you to think about this for just a second. That we live in a culture where if we sleep eight hours a night, eight hours a night, and I know some of you don't do eight hours a night, but let's just say for the sake of argument that we all slept eight hours a night and you worked a 60-hour work week, 60-hour work week, that there would still be 52 hours left in the week for you to do whatever you wanted to do every single week. For the rest of the world, that blows their mind that we could go work a 60-hour week and survive and have 52 hours of vacation to do whatever we wanted to do every single week not including the time that we're laying down sleeping we are so, so rich you've heard me say this before that some of us are so stinking, filthy, rich that we have a room in our house that we put our cars in some of us are so, so rich that we have a room in our house that nobody sleeps in it's just there in case somebody shows up some of us are so rich that we have a perfectly good working kitchen and we rip it all out to put new stuff in. If you showed up this morning in a car, you're in the top 3% of the richest people in the world. If you have a household median income of $45,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. I'm here to tell you this morning that this passage is for you and for me. We are blessed blessed beyond measure even though sometimes we don't feel like it even though sometimes it feels like we're struggling to make ends meet even though it feels like we're pulled in a thousand different directions to try to 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 meet all of our obligations at the end of the day God has placed us in 2015 in the richest nation in the world in the richest culture in the world we are rich so this passage is for us Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Because there's kind of two options that you can roll with when, when you're rich. You can either be arrogant and look down your nose on people who aren't rich and say, well, they just didn't work hard enough. Well, they just didn't do enough. Or we don't act that way, but we put all of our trust and our hope in the resources that we have, the wealth that we've accumulated. It says, Tell them not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And for those of you who lived from 2007 to 2011, you know that wealth is so uncertain, right? But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Basically, what he's saying is, don't put your trust in the provision. Put your trust in the provider. Don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust in a God who richly provides your every need. It says, command them to do good. If you've been blessed, you have an obligation to do something with those blessings, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And here's the word that we parked on for this entire series. And to be generous and willing to share. To be generous and willing to share to share that's a word that God has for us this morning as people who are blessed in our position in life and my heart and my prayers that will open our hearts and ears to what it is he wants to say to us through this passage this morning would you pray with me God we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in your presence to worship your name to experience your spirit moving among us God, I pray for those people in the room who are new to church or just checking this thing out or just trying to figure it all out, that they wouldn't be scared or turned off by your presence, but they would be overwhelmed by it. And God, my prayer is that for the rest of us, that we would walk out of this place different than how we came in as a result of encountering you. We love you and we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about the subject of a migration of hope. If you're a note taker and you like to, to follow along that way, and you like to write stuff down, go ahead and write that down. We're going to be talking about a migration. Of hope. Because here's what I've realized over the course of time and growing up, and then now watching my kids grow up. I'm learning that humanity has this one common thread and this one fundamental reality that's shared among all of us. And it's that throughout the course of our lives, we share in a migration of hope meaning we move from having hope in one thing to having hope in another thing and then by the end of our lives putting our hope back in the one thing that we had to begin with when I was growing up when I was a kid man I was taught to put my hope in God I was taught that if I wanted something or I needed something or I wanted I wanted something to happen in somebody else's life that what was I supposed to do I was supposed to Pray, right? Because if I pray, then God will come through and take care of those things. So I can remember as a kid, I would pray and ask God to show up big in people's hearts and in people's lives and do stuff for people. And now that I'm a dad, I'm getting to watch that with my kids. It's the, I'm just telling you, if you're not a parent yet, get ready because you're going to have the most insane prayer sessions of your life with your kids. They pray for for everything they pray that they get airplanes they pray that their friends will have enough food to eat they pray that they won't get diarrhea they pray i mean they pray they pray like random stuff and it all kind of funnels like right there together um they pray for all kinds of stuff last night my daughter and i were were praying and she prayed for jesus and so i stopped her and i said baby you don't need to pray for jesus you need to pray to jesus and she said well jesus needs prayer too she's like she's two right um it's so awesome to watch our kids um kind of kind of be morphed into um, these people who trust and hope in a God who loves them and cares about them and passionately pursues them so they have this desire the same way that most of us had the desire growing up to pray to God when there was a need in our life because we trust and put our hope in God right but as we get older what do we do we say we love God and we say we trust God and we say we believe in God. And for most people in the room, you would say that otherwise you wouldn't be here this morning. You're here because you have some semblance of desire to be trusting in and putting your hope in God but the reality is for most of us we don't have that childlike faith that we did when we were younger and we have migrated to placing our hope no longer in the God who richly provides but now we place our hope in our stuff and if we don't have enough stuff or we don't have enough resources we don't feel like we're going to be able to make it through the day right That's what happens. As we get older, we start to look around us and as long as we've got a job, we have hope. As long as we have a roof over our head, we have hope. As long as there's money to pay the bills, we have hope. I thought our hope was in the God who richly provided. But somewhere along the way, we've migrated to placing our hope in our stuff, in our resources, in our circumstances, in the things that come to us. Rather than placing our hope in the blesser, we have now placed our hope in the blessing. And if we don't get a blessing, then we don't have hope anymore. And what's fascinating to me is as you go through life and as you get older, the older people get, the more and more they realize how asinine and and ridiculous it is to place their hope in stuff because stuff is so unstable. Stuff is so all over the place. You don't know whether you're going to have stuff or not have stuff. And as people get older and they near the end of their life, they start to place their hope back in and trust back in the God who richly provides and that's what my my desire for our church is that we wouldn't wait until the end of our life. We wouldn't stop when we're 5 or 6 or 7 years old, but we would get to the place as a church where people look at us and say something's different about you, something's odd about you. The Bible calls this word holy. Something's set apart and different about you. My heart and my prayer for our church is that we would migrate our hope back from our stuff and our resources and our blessings. Back to God, because he is the one who provides all of our hope, all of our stuff, all of our resources, and all of our blessings. The real question is, how do we do that? How do we combat this natural mentality of gravitating from believing and trusting and hoping in God to believing and hoping and trusting in our stuff? Well, we talked about last week how God gave us this amazing gift, and it's a gift not for him and not for anybody else, but it's a gift for us. And the gift is giving. When we give to God, when we give to others, when we're generous with what we've been given, it combats inside of us this this selfishness that's placed in us. And one of the things that we talked about last week was that the reason that that's so hard for so many of us to do, the reason that we don't like to let go and to give up and to, to be generous with what we have is because we make the mistake somewhere along the way of thinking that what we have is ours. We make the mistake of thinking that that we did that. We earned that. That's ours. That's our stuff. And so whenever you've got my stuff, you guys know this if you're a parent of of a three-year-old, that when it's mine, guess what? It's mine. And you're going to let everybody know that it's mine. And you're not giving up what's yours. It's yours. The problem is it's not yours. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And anything and everything that you have or that you've been blessed with comes from him. And when we forget that, We choose to hold on. And when we choose to hold on, selfishness builds up. And when selfishness builds up, we place our hope in our stuff. We place our hope in our resources. And the only way that we can combat that is to bring back to God first what he has blessed us with. And I use that word bring intentionally. Because we use the word around here give a lot. But I don't know that that's necessarily the right word because God is the ultimate giver. He's the one who gives. We're simply bringing back what he's already given to us. You can't give what's not yours. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Somebody got a set of keys. Can I, can I borrow somebody's keys? Somebody right here up front. Here we go, right here. Somebody, it doesn't matter. Here we go, perfect, awesome. What kind of car are we driving today? Yep, you're rich. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so let's just say for, for the sake of argument that um, that you have asked me to give you a ride to the airport. And, and you don't want to park your car um, in that long-term parking and pay all that money. So you say to me, hey, I want you to take me to the airport. Here are my keys. We can drive my car. And while I'm at the airport, you can use my car For the week, it's yours. You can do what you want with it. Go anywhere you want with it. And so I take you to the airport. I drop you off. And I get really comfortable in your car while you're gone. Like I've got the seat laid back. Like I'm sitting here thinking, this has got heated seats. My car doesn't have heated seats. Like this thing's got like um, this auto drive feature that my car doesn't have. And I'm sitting here thinking, this thing is nice. Holy cow. Like I'm digging this. I really want this car. And so a week goes by. and, 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 And you fly back in. And I come back to the airport. And I pick you up. And of course, I've got your keys. And I've got your car, right? And I go to pick you up. And you get in the car. And you say, thanks for giving me a list. And I say, yeah, no problem. And then I stop and pause. And I say, Angela, we, my, my wife and I have been praying about it. And um, we really believe God's leading us to do something special for you and Brian. And um, we just feel like that this, this, is, this is the direction the Lord's leading us. We want to give you this car. <laughs> How stupid would that be? Right? But all too often in church circles, isn't that exactly what we do? We say, well, we've been praying about it. We were really asking God what he would have us do, where he would have us go, what direction he would lead us. Man, we start like, throwing in all that church lingo, right? And then we, And then we say, as if we've done something special, Lord, we've decided to up our tithe. We've decided to give to this special thing. We've decided to support this particular ministry. We've decided that we're going to sponsor a child. We've decided, we've decided. What? Since when did you have the honor and privilege of giving anything? You only have the honor and distinction of bringing back what doesn't belong to you anyway. It's God's, it's His. And and His greatest desire for you and for me is not to live selfishly, but to live generously and to live a life that trusts completely and fully in and on Him, not in our stuff. And the only way we can do that is by beginning to live our lives generously first by giving away the first percentage of our income back to Him and to His work and to the things that He's called us to in the world. It's not for His benefit. God doesn't need our money. It's not for the people around us benefit. It's for our benefit. We talked last week about how the the, the people around you, God could provide for them without you. God doesn't need you to provide for them. But He chooses to use you not for their benefit but for yours. Because He wants... To unlock something in you. And that is full and complete trust in him. At our house, we, uh, we realized a long time ago that this would unlock something in us that we couldn't unlock for ourselves. And so we started living our lives off of the 80-10-10 rule. Um, some of you guys are familiar with that. Some of you aren't. But basically, here's what we said. That we're going to structure and build our lives off of 80% of our income. Period. Like, we're not even going to talk about or think about the fact that there's another 20% out there. Um, we're just going to structure and build our lives off of 80%. And if we can't afford to do something off of that 80%, then we have to make cuts in our lives so that we can live within that 80%. Now, some of you are hearing that and you're going, there's no way that we could do that in our life. And I'm just telling you there was no way that we could do it in our life. But some of the things that you have that you think you need, you realize you don't need when you make the decision that you're going to live off 80% because you're going to put God and being generous to Him and His work in the world First in your life. So in our life, we decided we're going to live off of 80%. We're going to start off at tithing. That's it's basically, we decided to give the first 10% of our income to God. And then we're going to save 10% so that we have the capacity and the ability to do very generous things down the road that we would never have had the opportunity to do otherwise. And that's how we've structured our life. Not for, for anybody else's sake, And not for God's sake, but for our sake. Because us living off of 80%, listen to me, pay attention. It doesn't work on paper. It doesn't work on paper. And some of you are going, there's no way I could ever do that. I couldn't live off 80% on paper. It doesn't work. That's the point. That's the point. Because if it works, guess what? You're trusting in your money. But if it doesn't work, guess who you got to trust in? God which is the point anyway. And so we decided a long time ago that we're gonna give the first percentage of our income. And I don't wanna get hung up on what percentage that is because I'm convinced that in the New Testament, um, 10 is a really small number and we should be giving way more than that to the work that God's called us to in the world. So I don't wanna give anybody an out by saying 10%. And I also don't wanna scare somebody off who maybe thinks that, man, I can only do 3%, I can only do 5%. Don't worry about what the percentage is right now, but you've gotta make the decision in your heart that the first percentage, and, and you got to figure out what that looks like for you, of your income needs to go right back out to being generous to the work that God is doing. Bringing back to Him what you have first to unlock generosity in your heart, to nix a spirit of selfishness in your heart, and to trust in Him rather than your stuff. To migrate your trust back to Him. Now, I know that some of you are already going, crap, I came to church on the wrong flipping week, man. They're talking about money and they're trying to get me to give more money here. And I don't even know if I like this church. That pastor seems awful young and irresponsible. I'm not sure I want to give my money to him. Listen, here's what you need to know. Time out. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. If you're hung up on the fact that you think the reason that we're talking about this is because we want your money, let me put your mind at ease. We kicked off this series by telling you to give your money elsewhere. And every single week throughout the course of this series, I'm going to tell you that if you're not being generous by giving the first percentage of your income to God and his work around the world, and you're not doing it because you're afraid that we're, we're, we're being selfish or because we're just trying to get you to give us your money, then give your money somewhere else. Give your money somewhere else. Don't choose not to do this and give yourself an out just because you, you question our motives. I want you to know that, that, that we, we serve a God who owns what the scripture says, the cattle on a thousand hills. Basically, he owns all the Ferraris in every garage anywhere. And when we serve and work at his pleasure, we don't need your money. We don't. We don't need your money. If God wants to accomplish his work through this church, he will do it. And if he doesn't, he won't. I want you to be generous because of of what God wants to do in you, not because of what we want from you. But some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, that's just not how we operate in our house, Robbie. I'm just telling you, like we don't do that whole percentage thing. Like we give whenever there's a need. If somebody comes along and says they need something, we're nice and we give a dollar amount. We give here, we give there. We we, we signed up to help out with this charitable organization. Um, we we buy Girl Scout cookies every year. Like I don't know what it is for you, but everybody's got their we're generous, we're generous, we're generous thing, right? But for many of us, this idea of giving the first percentage of our income back to God. That's that's tough. That's tough for a lot of us. And many of us would say, I, I'm not sure that I need or have to operate that way. I think that I would rather just operate on giving a dollar amount whenever the opportunity arises. Well before you say that, I want us to look at something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 20. Some The third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screens for you, or you can pick up a Bible at our resource center on your way out. So you'll have it next week. But Luke chapter 20, verse 46, Jesus says this, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Let me just tell you, if this describes you, you need to go back and read the entire passage of Luke chapter 20. Now you may not like to wear flowing robes, but if you like to show off whenever there's an opportunity for you to give and be generous because you know that it makes you look good, you need to go back and read this particular passage. It says in verse 47, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. These are people who are generous. They give dollar amounts whenever there's an opportunity to give dollar amounts. They love showing off. But look at what it says in chapter 21, verse one. It says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Let me read that again, just in case you missed it. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all she had to live on. Jesus, by his own admission, is far more interested in you sacrificially giving a percentage of what you have far more than he is you giving a dollar amount whenever it's convenient for you. He's not looking for people to meet needs. He can meet needs. He's looking for people to put him First, to sacrificially give. First, to percentage give. First. Because he's not after your money, <laughs> he's after your heart. And if you just give a dollar amount whenever you hear of a need, that's great. But that doesn't necessarily mean he has your heart, your heart. That means that thing has your heart. If you hear about a need in Rwanda, and so you write a check to some organization to help out uh, something going on in Rwanda, then that situation in Rwanda has your heart. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's beautiful when the church steps up and does those types of things. But unless you're dedicating a percentage of your income consistently and constantly to the work that he is doing in the world, he doesn't have your heart. He may have your mouth, He may have your lips, he may have your hands, but he doesn't have your heart. God's far less concerned with the amount you give and far more with the percentage you give that that amount and that percentage is sacrificial. And here's why. Because the dollar amount focuses on the resource. The percentage focuses on the trust. If you're taking notes, you wanna write that down. The dollar amount focuses on the resource. The percentage focuses on the trust. When you give a dollar amount, you're saying, look what I gave. I gave this amount of money. I gave this amount of money. But when you dedicate a percentage of your income first to the work that God's doing in the world and you're generous with what he's given to you, then you're saying, I'm trusting that I can live better off of 90%, 85%, 80% putting God first, than I can living off of 100% excluding him from my finances. When you percentage give, you focus on trust. God wants to get us to a place where we're trusting him for our hope, not our stuff. And the best way to do that is through sacrificial percentage giving. So here's what I wanna do. I I wanna ask four questions this morning, very briefly over the next five or 10 minutes. I wanna ask you four questions And these four questions are meant to help shine a light on your heart. These four questions are meant to help shine a light on on what's going on inside of you. And it'll help you answer the ultimate question, and that is, do I trust in my stuff or do I trust in a God who richly provides the stuff that I need? All right, question number one, write this down. Do I see myself as entrusted or entitled? Do I see myself as entrusted or entitled? As a pastor, I get the opportunity to meet with and talk to a lot of people. And it's amazing to me the difference in the way entitled people act about their stuff and the way that entrusted people act about their stuff. If you think, well, I deserve this, well, this belongs to me, well, I worked hard for this, and a lot of times the, the character traits that rise up inside of you are character traits of arrogance and selfishness and pride. But when you're entrusted with something and you see yourself as entrusted, you know what we often do? We often take very special care of what we've been given. And, and, and all too often, it changes our personality when it comes to our stuff. It changes how we act when it comes to our stuff. We act honored and privileged with the opportunity to be entrusted with what we've been given rather than, well, this just belongs to us. It was interesting in the Old Testament when Moses was preparing the children of Israel to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter eight, he says this, he says, and I'm just gonna read it to you. It won't be on the screens. He says, observe the commands of the Lord, your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Not you, not what you did, not the work that you put in, but the Lord your God is doing it. A land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. God loves to bless his children. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, do this. Don't pat yourself on the back and say, we did it. We're awesome. But praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become, watch, proud. And you will forget the Lord, your God, the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember this, it was the Lord your God who did it. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Any blessing that you have in your life that you don't recognize as something you've been entrusted with and you don't turn back into praise to God, it'll turn into pride in your heart. And you'll begin to think, look what I did, which is the polar opposite of what God wants to unlock in you and in me. I, I, wanna, I wanna play you, John, you got that song? I wanna, I wanna play you guys a song. Let's see if you guys recognize this. Check this out. See, see if you guys, get, you guys recognize this. Let's try yeah, you guys like this, right? All right. All right, stop. <clears throat> what comes next? Have Abberate and listen. Ice back with a... There you go. I want to hear the rest of it. Can you, can you play the rest of it? Can you play the rest of it? I want, us, I want us to be able to sing that together because you guys sound like you got it down, right? Vanilla Ice. Alright, you, 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 you can kill it. The, uh, the reason that you thought it was Vanilla Ice is because Vanilla Ice sampled um, a bass line from a previously recorded artist, a little-known band known as Queen, 1981's Under Pressure. Anybody Queen fans in the house? Alright, cool. Some of you are going, I don't know if I can do that in church. Am I allowed to say? I'm, I'm, is this a progressive church or not? Are we allowed to, to do that? He, uh, he, he sampled that bass line. And actually... He ended up getting in a lot of trouble, if you'll remember, and lost a lot of money along the way. Because he sampled another artist's baseline and paid originally to sample that, but forgot to pay royalties on the sales of his explosive hit Ice Ice Baby, which sampled that particular baseline. Because every artist should know better than, than to take and, and sample a really, really popular piece of a song and then not pay or give credit to the original artist, right? That just that doesn't make any sense. But we do that all the time, right? We look at what we've earned and what we've done and we've looked at what we have have acquired by the sweat of our brows and we say, look at us, look at us, look at us, look what we did. And we see ourselves as entitled and we forget the fact that we've been entrusted with everything we had because it wasn't ours to give ourselves, it was God who richly blessed us with it. And you want to talk about getting in a lot of trouble? You want to talk about wrecking your life? You want to talk about ending up in a place that you never intended to be? Start living your life as entitled rather than entrusted. Start forgetting where it all came from. Question number two. Do I give out of relationship or out of reluctance? Do I give out of relationship or out of reluctance? When you show up to church and it's time for the offering baskets to come by, is it, or is it, yes. See, the Bible says in an all too familiar passage of scripture that for God so loved the world that he prayed for Him. For God so loved the world that um, he started singing songs about them. For God so loved the world that he talked with other gods about them. No, for God so loved the world that he gave because love gives. I remember back when I was um, getting ready to get married. Um, I was 18, my wife was 17. We were gonna get married after she turned 18, so y'all shut your mouth. (laughs) For whatever it's worth, it was still ridiculously stupid to get married that young. We learned a lot of lessons the hard way. But I remember when we got ready to get married, um, I was going on a missions trip to Venezuela. And they mined their own diamonds in Venezuela. And I was so excited about being able to go and get my wife a diamond, an engagement ring from Venezuela. And I remember saving and saving and saving. and I, I mean, I worked long hours, late nights, Fridays and Saturday nights at a fish camp in Matthews. Um, Working extra, picking up extra tables, picking up extra shifts, and everybody else was going out and doing stuff with their money, but I was holding on to my money because I had something that I wanted to do. I wanted to go to Venezuela and buy this girl a ring. Beyonce says, if you like it, you should put a ring on it. I liked it, so I was ready to put a ring on it, right? And so I saved, and man, when I went down there and I paid that man that money, none of your business how much money it was, I paid that man that money, I didn't go, oh, Oh, this hurts. This is is terrible. No, I was excited. I couldn't wait to get to Venezuela. I couldn't wait to spend that money. I couldn't wait to give. You know why? Because love gives. And if the idea of percentage giving rubs you the wrong way, and you just think, I just don't know if I want to be that kind of person that dedicates a percentage of my income to the work that God's doing. Gosh, I'll I'll give, but I I don't know. I, I just don't know if I like. That, you need to reevaluate the love relationship you have with Him. Because we shouldn't give out of compulsion or out of obligation. God is looking for a cheerful giver. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God wants a cheerful giver, somebody who's excited to give out of the love relationship that they have with their Father. Third question. Do I give out of obedience or is it optional? Do I give out of obedience or is it optional? Like for you, when you think of giving, you you think like, well, I mean, I, I'm gonna be a good Christian, so I'm gonna do that. I don't have to be a good Christian. I could be a bad Christian and just not give. Um, or, or do you give because you know It's the right thing to do and you're acting in obedience. Or do you see it as, well, I'm doing something special for God. I'm being a really extra good Christian by giving percentage of my income to him. It's not, I want to make sure I say this. I know that a lot of people take this the wrong way and and will end up walking out of here quoting me wrong. Giving shouldn't be a decision. It should be devotion from your heart. To his. It shouldn't be, well, I, I've decided to give. You don't decide to, to do what is just the right thing to do. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. Like, I didn't decide to not snort, snort Coke before I came out here and preached. You know why? Not because I didn't decide not to. You just don't do that. You don't snort Coke anytime for whatever that's worth. Right? You don't do that. You just don't. I don't decide to do that or not do that. You just don't do that. Like that's just not. And so the question I want to ask you, when it comes to percentage giving, when it comes to putting God first in the area of your resources and dedicating a percentage of your resources to him so that you trust in him, is that like a decision that you make? Well, I'll decide when it's right for me. Well, then you're viewing this whole relationship with God thing all wrong because it's not optional. I know that some countries around the world where the gospel is new and fresh in the hearts and lives of people, they don't even consider it an option when it comes to tithing and giving. That's just what you do. That's part of becoming a follower of Jesus. So the question you have to ask is, do you give out of obedience or is it just something you do every now and again because you feel like it might be the right thing for you to do that week? And finally, question number four. Do I want to multiply or maintain? Do I want to multiply or maintain? Here's what I've learned over the years. And this is reaffirmed. And and we could spend a lot of time unpacking scripture over this. And we're going to spend a lot of time here next week. But one of the things that I've learned over the years Is that when I trust in my stuff, when I trust in my resources, when I trust in what I have, when I trust in those things, I maintain what I've got, right? When I'm really protective of my stuff because it's mine and I don't want to give any of it away, the dollar amount doesn't go down. I'm really good at keeping what I've got. But you know what I also do? I remove God from the equation and I remove his ability to multiply what I have for the sake of his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying, and we covered this last week, I'm not saying that you should give to get, like I'm giving because I want God to send me a check in the mail. It doesn't work that way. That that infuses selfishness into our heart, which is the polar opposite of what God wants. But the scripture says this, that he who is faithful with little, God will make faithful with much. He who is faithful with little will be entrusted with more to be faithful with. And I'm just telling you that when you hold on to what you've got, what you've got is what you'll have forever. But when you begin to be generous and start giving away what you have for the sake of others, for the sake of the world, God will bless you and God will give you favor and God will entrust you with more. I'm not saying you'll get a check in the mail, but here's what I am saying. If you'll be faithful and generous, God will grant you influence that you could have never had before. If you're faithful and generous, God will grant you opportunities that you never had before. I could not figure out for the life of me, for the longest time as a pastor, why I was struggling so bad to get people to follow me, to get people to listen to me, to get people to take me seriously. And it was about the time that my wife said, hey, we gotta get this generosity thing right in our lives. And it was about the time that we started putting God first in the area of our finances by being generous with what he had given to us. It was about that time that I started experiencing favor in other areas that i had never experienced before. God started granting me opportunities to counsel people and to lead people and to teach people and to train people that I never never would have had the opportunity to do before. But he gave me that opportunity because I was faithful with what he had entrusted me with. Do you want to multiply or to maintain? However you answer those four questions will determine whether or not you're trusting in the provision or trusting in the provider. If we live a life where we're trusting in the provision, then we're living the blessing life. I need more blessings, I need more blessings, I need more blessings, I need more blessings. I I don't, can't ever have enough blessings. But if we live a life where we trust in the provider, we live in the blessed life. We say, man, we are so blessed with the opportunities he's given and afforded to us. We start seeing ourselves differently. Now, I'm not going to close and say in Jesus' name, amen, and then pass the basket. We are going to take up the offering in a minute, but I want to make sure I clarify. and I want to say this as clearly as I possibly can. If you think that we're talking about this this morning because we want your money, don't give your money here. Go home, get online, give it to somebody else. But if you've partnered with us and you call this place your home and you recognize that God is wrecking your heart because you haven't been faithful in what he's given to you and you're tired of living the blessing life and you're ready to live the blessed life, then give here and give generously. But I want us to be a people who are known by our generosity. Why? Because we bear the name of the savior of the world who gave everything generously for us. We should mirror his heart to the world. Let me pray for you. God, we love you and we thank you for your blessings in our life. Not our stuff, but your blessings, your presence, your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your extravagant generosity towards us. We thank you for it. We ask that we would open ourselves up to mirroring you, that we would open our hearts and we would begin to be people that live like your son lived, that we would be people who are generous and who trust in a generous God and live grateful for what he's entrusted us with. Help us to live the blessed life. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.